You are now listening to the Major Jobs Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Major Jobs Podcast. Today I get to talk with Ken Bone. Wait, are you thinking about the Ken Bone about Yeah, the red sweater, glasses wearing guy at the political debates. I had a chance to talk with him to talk about what it's like being an electrical engineer. And it was really awesome to be able to talk about it because I know a lot of people on Reddit wanted me to talk to people with more normal jobs. And what more normal than a viral star? Nah, I'm just joking, but I kind of mixed these two in together, didn't I? I gave you guys a, a normal job, but also a unique experience together. So in the beginning, we kind of talked about what it's like being an electrical engineer, and it was super interesting. Just learning about what it's like working with electricity, working in a power plant, and he had some really great stories to tell about that. But he also had some great stories to tell about what it's like being a, I guess, social media influencer or being famous for an amount of time. And it's really interesting just learning about what it's like when he's doing interviews with other people, when he's traveling to different places. It's really interesting just learning about what it's like because not everybody has that experience and he was fortunate enough to have it. And what he's doing now is really great because he's using that platform to do speaking events and talk to people about what it's like being famous and how that doesn't define who you are. So I really like that he's doing that, just using his platform to better society. But other than that, I hope that you enjoy this interview with Ken Bone. Thanks for listening to the Major Apps Podcast. I guess I'll introduce myself a little bit before I begin. So my name is Tealand and I'm a high schooler and I started a podcast where I wanted to talk with other people about different jobs to learn about like how they got started and what they do. And I'm really interested in what it's like being an electrician. So uh, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I guess I'll start off with the first question. Uh, what is your job title? Uh, my current job title is operations training specialist. I'm actually not an electrician. I have an electrical engineering degree, and I started out my career in operations, which is like the day-to-day running of an electric power plant. Uh, and so currently I do the training for all of our operations personnel. I take people that are new to the job and uh, and teach them to do it. So what would you say is like your job description? Like, can you elaborate more on what you do exactly? Yeah, if someone new gets hired to uh, the power plant, then there is a two-week course that I put them through that has all the basics of their first two levels of responsibility. Uh, It has everything from basic electrical theory and power plant operations through slightly, slightly more advanced stuff that's more specific to the job they'll be doing like uh, how to run our air quality control equipment and uh, how to run our uh, fuel conditioning equipment. It's all all really technical stuff. Uh, it's not a ton of fun uh, except for the people that are like getting ready for the job and need the information. Uh-huh. So did you always know that you wanted to work in the electrical field from an early age? I always found electricity fascinating because it's like, it powers everything in your life and it's really, you know, it's kind of an invisible thing. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't smell it or taste it. Uh, but you can definitely feel it if you've come into contact with it. Uh, And so I just thought it was really wild how our whole technology is based around this thing that nobody can really see or even experience. You just kind of have to trust that it's there. 
Uh, so I always thought that it was really neat, but it wasn't like my first career choice. It was what I ended up doing uh, after going through school for a long time. Uh, initially, I changed my major probably six or seven times. You know, I was I was going to be a lawyer, and then I was going to be a social worker, but then I was going to be, I thought, well, I could be in broadcast or lots of different stuff I wanted to do. I, I don't think you should be allowed to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 17. Yeah, I don't know. I just That's why I made this podcast, to try to help other people just like find out about different jobs and learn about it. So next question is, how did you actually attain the job? So you talked about college. So what major did you choose in college to do it? And then how did you attain the job after coming out of college? Well, I went back to school... Uh, I had initially majored in physics when I went through college the first time, uh, thinking that I would be a physics teacher. And then I ended up uh, affording tuition is tough when you have a baby and a, a wife and you're uh, you know, 20 years old. So I ended up dropping out working in a warehouse for a while until I figured out that you don't ever retire from working in a warehouse. So I went back to school, uh, to a technical school and uh, got a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. And their job placement department helped me get a job in my hometown at uh, a new construction uh, plant that you know did some power generation. And then I moved to my current plant, which is also a new construction, brand new plant uh, from there. So I've been in the power industry for about 10 years now. Wow. And what would you say you do on a daily basis? So from like waking up and then to the end of the workday? Well, what I do is uh, I sit alone in my office and I build curriculum for classes. You know, I build, uh, build material to teach people new subjects. And right now we're putting a lot of emphasis on continuing education. So we might take systems or subjects from the plant and build a continuing education program on that and get everybody more up to speed. Uh, there are sometimes when we have new employees that my day-to-day job is teaching those classes. Uh, but as for doing what I did before, uh, when I was the person working the job instead of the person teaching the job, uh, running the control room is kind of like what you see Homer Simpson doing mm. on The Simpsons. You sit at a you sit at a control unit, which in modern times now is all at computers. It's no longer buttons and dials and switches, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but it's the same concept. You're watching all over the plant. You have hundreds of thousands of instruments that tell you pressures and temperatures and flows and all kinds of things for where where the fuel and where the water and where everything is moving and how much power you're making. And you're making adjustments to that continuously to make the plant as efficient as you can make it. So what exactly do you have to do when you're sitting on that chair? Uh, Mostly it's monitoring. The modern systems run themselves for the most part. And you're kind of waiting for something to go wrong and then responding to that. Mm. So you're waiting for you know, a circuit breaker to overload and then you respond to that. Or uh, you find small losses of efficiency and you make adjustments to make up for them. You know, if we're, uh, there's one part of the cycle where you take all of the steam that goes through a steam-driven turbine. And almost all modern power plants work on the same principle. You take water, you heat it up and turn it into steam, you put the steam through a turbine, and the turbine spins and makes electricity. And whether you use coal or natural gas or nuclear energy, most of our electricity in the U.S. is produced with that principle. And when you're done with the steam, you don't just throw it away, you have to cool it off and turn it back into water. 
There's, there's no way to pump the steam to the next stage of the process. We don't want to have to purify and make all new water. So you cool the steam down and you make it back into water again so you can pump it back through the cycle and start over. Well, that can be a big loss of efficiency if you're cooling it down either too much or not enough. So that's one of the things you kind of watch is that temperature and that flow rate to just make it as efficient as you possibly can. So who are the people that you work closely with? Uh, the people I work the most closely with would be maintenance specialists that go and repair the equipment when it breaks down and our engineering department which is always looking for uh, you know, making new capital projects to install newer, more upgraded systems or things that will boost our efficiency. Uh, a lot of what I do now in the, the training role, we have a simulator, which is like a million-dollar Xbox, wow. and the only game that it plays is run the power plant. <laughs> it's the only software that it runs. It's like instead of playing goat simulator or truck simulator, we're playing power plant simulator. Uh-huh where you can manipulate all the same controls, but it's all a computer-based simulation. Uh, So we'll take that simulator and we'll do tests on it. Since it has very, very realistic physics responses to anything we can do in the controls, we'll do tests on it to see what might happen if we changed a certain parameter or a certain piece of programming in the real world. That way we don't have to put any of our real assets at risk. We can test our ideas on the simulator. So our engineering department will say, like, well, what if we... You know, tried to inf- what if we installed something that increased the flow at this stage in the process? Or what if we put more of our fuel higher in the boiler so that it's introduced later in the process and kind of slows everything down? What would happen? So we're able to test that before we spend a lot of money building systems that would do it in the real world. And what would you say is something that's unique about your job that really isn't in others? Well, as far as uh, operating a power plant, unless you're in the U.S. Navy or you're one of the very few people that do what I do, you really you don't have even a concept of of what it is. Like it's it's really a pretty unique job. I uh, I have to, if I didn't have the Homer Simpson example, it would be really difficult for me to explain what I do. It's very different from working in a factory or an office. Mm-hmm. So. Would you say that it's more of like an accountant job, like you do the same thing every day, or more of something like you when you walk into the office, you don't really know what you're expecting? Well, operations is often described as like weeks of weeks of and weeks of boredom <laughs> uh, spaced out with moments of panic. <laughs> because when something critical breaks down, then you have to be able to respond to it. For the most part, it's very routine, but the unexpected can happen at any time, and you have to be able to respond to it very quickly uh, for the safety of everybody working on the, the plant site and for the you know the uh, monetary side. You know, we, we make enough electricity to power 3 million homes. So imagine three, 3 million people's electric bills worth of revenue is available available to be lost mm-hmm. you know if we make the wrong decision so what would you say is your advice to a teenager that wants to pursue your job field well if you want to get into doing what i do and working at a power plant the best way unfortunately like a lot of other jobs is to have a dad or an uncle that works at a power plant the second best way is to uh, go to like a the best education you can get is a two or a four-year school. Uh, It does not have to be a major college. You can do these at community colleges or at technical schools where you'll major uh, or get a a degree in something called industrial processes. Or uh, you can get a two-year degree in uh, power plant operations from a lot of technical schools. Or you can do like I did 
and get uh, an electrical engineering degree, that's also very desirable. Like you can do a more traditional uh, electricity-based education, and those people are always in high demand at power plants. Another way to get into it really kind of through the back door is to join the Navy. Basically, every U.S. Navy ship is a power plant that floats. They all have some kind of, the whole nuclear Navy is power plants. They're nuclear reactors, power plants on ships, and they power the entire ship from the propulsion to uh, lighting to everything else is powered all by this nuclear power plant on the ship. And they have an excellent training program. So uh, people that get out of the Navy after six or eight years, uh, we have a, we, have, we highly seek after those mm-hmm. folks. Uh, to come in and work at the power. So what would you say are some traits that some people would need to have to be in the profession? Well, you need to be able to keep a cool head under pressure. Bad stuff can happen. Like It's not like you go in every day thinking you're going to die or whatever. It's not like a super dangerous job or anything. But you have to be paying attention. And when when things start to go bad, a lot of stuff can go bad at once. We have what, what you'd call cascading failures where one system will fail which will cause another thing to fail which will cause another thing to fail and you need to be able to stay cool and analytical and figure out what happened first so you can trace it back do your best to undo it before we either lose a lot of revenue you also have to keep your head so that when that's happening you know we direct people who are out in the field who are like the guys that go and turn valves for us or go and inspect things outside the control room you have to make sure that you're calm enough that you're not sending someone into mm-hmm. danger. You have to stop and think about what you're asking them to do mm-hmm. before you send them to go and do it. So have you ever experienced something like that? Uh, I've never been like in charge when somebody's gotten hurt. I've certainly faced a lot of situations where we could have wrecked uh, some pretty expensive equipment. The, the biggest thing that I ever destroyed, I think, cost $65,000 oh. to fix. And that's kind of on the low end. We have lots of... Mm-hmm. You know, those those kind of things just happen. We had a sensor that said that a pipeline was full of water when it was not. Uh, so we started up this really large started up this really large pump thinking that the pipeline that it fed was already full of water. Well, when a pipe's not full of water and you start pumping into it, you get what's called water hammer. Like if you've ever taken a shower in a really old house and turned on the water and heard clanging in the yeah. pipes, that's what's happening. This water is getting to the bends or the turns in the pipe and clanging into those turns. Well, if you start doing that at very high pressure or at very high flows, and we're talking pipes that are, uh, I think, six feet around, like a six-foot diameter. They're really large. So we turned one on thinking it was full. It wasn't full, and it shot the pipe out of the side of a building, Uh, this big six-foot diameter pipe, about 60 feet of it. It was stuck in the ground like a javelin. So that was fun. Do you have any other stories that you can share that are kind of unique to your profession only? Well, I mean, we all we run a lot of drills. Like we've, we rarely have anyone get injured. We have a very excellent safety record. We have mm-hmm. got lots of great safety programs. Part of the reason for that is because we run so many drills. So we have like a medevac helicopter wow. will fly in, and our emergency response team will have to practice how to load an injured or incapacitated person onto a medevac helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's really neat stuff to be involved in. So. What would you say is something that you would change about it? Like something that you really don't like about the job? Well, the worst thing can be that it takes a lot of people to run a plant like that. And uh, that can lead to a whole lot of cooks in the kitchen. 
Like sometimes when you feel like, look, I've made a decision, I'm going to go with it. There can be a lot of second guessing. Uh, we're fortunate in that we have a really good leadership team right now that doesn't really engage in a whole lot of micromanagement or anything. But it's always a possibility in a business like that uh, that there's there's going to be six or eight people breathing down your neck. So, what would you say motivates you on a daily basis to keep doing what you do? Well, I really like teaching people, and I really find what. Uh, our subject material, you know, uh, making electricity to be a fascinating subject. So, you know, being able to take people and explain this concept to them and make them into good operators and then see how their career develops uh, over the next couple of years after I've worked with them, it can be really rewarding. So what would you say is like what you want to do in the future? Like what do you want to do or keep doing? Well, our goal right now is to Right now we're we're kind of reactive in our training. Like we're we're at a point where the training program is relatively new, and if something, you know, if somebody's to do something wrong, or if we get a new piece of equipment, then we respond to that by teaching people how to, you know, overcome their mistake that they made before, or how to run this new piece of equipment that we got. And we're putting a lot of work over the next three years into making more of a continuing education program. Uh, just so that everybody's at a higher level of understanding to start with. And we're trying to be more proactive in that instead of reacting to things that happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'll kind of shift it over to your experiences. So has that like affected when you taught other people? Do people recognize you when you do that? Yeah, everybody that comes in, they know who I am. And it's <laughs> uh, it's been a really weird experience. Uh, it's a completely separate thing. And... Yeah, it did affect my job a little bit in that I had to basically burn up all of my vacation time for about two years to go and be on television uh -huh. and, and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the people I work with, they just like hearing stories from the road uh -huh. and like, what's Bill Maher really uh -huh. like and all you know that kind of stuff. It hasn't really impacted my day-to-day -day job too much. Uh -huh. Can you kind of talk about those, like what you have been doing in those two years? Yeah, so since the presidential debate in 2016, I've been... Uh, I've been keeping pretty busy. You know, there's always a project on the horizon. Uh, I've been on the radio or on television in 32 different countries. Wow. Uh, my longest day was 22 hours. I was on the, the I was on the morning show here in the United States for Fox Sports Radio at 4 a.m., which was 5 Eastern, right at the top of their show. And then I was up until 2 a.m. that night when I was on the morning show in Dublin, Ireland. Wow. And in between... Uh, you know, I've done, I've done interviews with the Chinese national media. Uh, the young lady that was inter interviewing me for the Chinese state run media did not speak English uh -huh. and her translator was off talking to someone else. Uh -huh. So she kept, she kept asking me questions in Chinese and I kept trying to explain <laughs> to her that I do not speak Mandarin. I'm sorry. Um, do you speak English? And all she knew how to say was no, no speak English. <laughs> And I don't, I, the only thing I really know how to say in Chinese is thank you. Uh, so I just kept telling her, you know, she'd ask me a question. And I'd be like, Shay, Shay, yeah, that's, a, that's all I really know how to say. And so, uh -huh. you know, any, I don't know if any of it aired or uh -huh. went into the paper or whatever, but I'm sure it just made me look like a complete uh -huh. buffoon where she would ask me about some political thing and I would just say, thank you. <laughs> and then the next question. Uh -huh. So you like after 2016, you've been on the road for like two years, just doing like a press run kind of basically like that. Well, it's, it wasn't a continuous thing. I've been uh, most of it is remote done either by satellite or phone. 
Uh, but I have been to New York, to DC, to Los Angeles, to Las Vegas, uh, you know, a couple dozen cities in between, uh, all over the place, uh, doing trade shows and appearances and, uh, radio and television interviews. I was on, you know, I walked the red carpet for the premiere of Dr. Strange in 2016 in Los Angeles. Uh, I covered the debate, the third debate. I was on the second one. I covered the third one for Jimmy Kimmel. That was in Las Vegas. Uh, so I've been to New York three or four times. Uh, I've been to Washington multiple times for different conferences and, and, uh, you know, a lot, I go and I give speeches, uh, all over the country. The last one, or I think the next one I'll be doing is in central Pennsylvania. That's in a few weeks. Uh, the last one before that, I want to say, was in Arkansas. I have it all written down because it really is. It sounds probably more interesting than it is, because from my perspective, and uh, anybody that's ever done like a book tour or a movie presser, like on a bigger scale, will tell you the same thing. Is they'll ask you like, "How was New York?" And you basically say like, "Well, the airport and the hotel were neat." <laughs> uh huh. And that's kind of all. The airport and the hotel and the movie studio uh-huh. or the TV studio. That's all uh-huh. I saw. Uh, so it's you're very busy the entire time, and typically, like you'll take a flight at five in the morning, you'll land at seven thirty or eight, and you'll do radio interviews from eight until about noon. You'll try to eat some lunch, then you do some more radio interviews from one to about three. Then you'll go and film whatever you're filming, uh-huh. and then you go and pass out in your hotel mm-hmm. room, and then you fly mm-hmm. home, and then rinse and repeat for usually weeks at a time. So in those speeches, what do you usually talk about? Well, typically when I go and give speeches now, I talk, uh, let's see, the one I did last year uh, when I was touring around was about how politics doesn't have to be nasty. Like, I don't really care if you worked on the Hillary campaign or if you're wearing a MAGA hat. Your ideas are your ideas. And if you came by them in good faith, we can all get along and we can talk to each other and find some common ground. And then in that same talk, uh, I talked about how getting famous is not a goal that you should aspire to. Maybe it will happen to you. Maybe it will not. But it doesn't bring you fulfillment. It doesn't bring you like some higher state of Zen or anything. It's just a neat experience that can be kind of a pain in addition to being fun. And uh, also famous people, they don't know anything more than you know. They they're just on camera. Some people, some famous people actually know significantly less than you know. They just happen to be on camera not knowing it. Uh, and then this year, the speech that I do focuses more on the importance of diversity of thought and empathy. Wow, that's kind of cool how you just have the platform to just talk about things because of what happened in 2016. So that's really cool how like, yeah, you can just, you know, you can kind of spread wisdom and knowledge because of that. Well, I try. You know, I try to make something good out of it. It was very random. It's like it's like winning the lottery only you don't get any money. So it's it's a very, very random thing, and I'm just trying to, to use it for for some kind of good. Uh-huh. And going on that topic about the lottery and like money, does doing that pay the bills? Does like going on radio stations and doing all this press, does that pay the bills? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it's a it's something that a lot of people don't see from the outside. It's something that people don't really see from the 
from the outside is uh, you see someone on TV and you just assume like, oh, man, they're rich because they're on television. That is not the case at all. You don't get paid for having Twitter followers and you don't get paid for going on the news or for going on that like so many people do it. Like Ann Coulter goes on news. She's a, a recurring contributor, so she might get some money from her appearances. But the real money in being a type is your book or selling your, your TV show. So you keep doing these appearances if you have something to sell. I'm good at doing it. Uh, I did get a couple of endorsement deals, and I did make some money. I'm not going to try and, and cry and bleed poverty or anything. It was a fun experience, and I did profit from it. But you, you can't make a living doing that unless you have a product to sell behind it. Because uh, that's really interesting to me, like how you kind of turned your situation into helping other people and just like spreading kind of this these ideas to other people and how you're like using it for good so i really commend you for doing that well i appreciate you saying that i'm not like a saint or anything i'm not allergic to making money uh -huh. it's just that i hadn't written a book or anything to make any money uh, -huh. uh from i am i'm working on writing a book now but who knows if anybody's going to want to buy it two years okay. later i guess we'll find out i think it's going to be number one bestseller on amazon well i would like that i would like that because i don't like having a mortgage and i would love to pay <laughs> it off so Something else I'm interested in is like those airplane flights. You don't have to pay for those, do you? Yeah, I have actually never booked an airline ticket. I think wow. I was on 60 or I was on 60 or 80 flights between 20 and 16 and 2017 and I've never booked an airline ticket in my life. It's always the people that are wanting you to come to whatever it is they're wanting you to come to, they book them. And it's like, okay, you know, they 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 need your phone number and your uh -huh. driver's license number and your birth date and then they can just book flights for you so i've gone through every major airport in the united states and i've never bought a plane ticket it was kind of a weird thing <laughs> so what do they usually ask you on those interviews the questions are pretty typical like the most popular question is who did you vote for and uh, then we have this big yeah. thing about how i, I don't tell yeah. anybody who i voted for then the next popular question is what's it like I'm like, well, I don't know. It's kind of like asking a deaf person what it's like to be <laughs> deaf. And the only answer they can give you is, I can't hear stuff. <laughs> you know, they ask, what's it like to be famous? I'm like, well, you know how when you go to Target and the kid at the cash register cries instead of asking you for your credit card because he's so excited <laughs> that you're there? And they're like, no, that's weird. Yeah. I said, yes, I know it's weird, but that's what happened for weeks is I would meet people in public and they would get the shakes and not be able to speak to me. And then all of a sudden I would have a crowd around <laughs> me like I was a religious figure, like people wanting me to bless their children. It was it was bizarre and I have no common frame of reference to be able to explain it to you. So does it get kind of tedious just answering the same thing over and over again, like, you know, hundreds of different times? I've always found it kind of an interesting challenge, really. Like it, it did start to get kind of old. And then I tried to shift my perspective on it. Like, how can I answer this question that not only is it going to appeal to the 50% of the audience that already knows who I am, that is ready to change the channel because they're tired of it. How can I like add a new dimension to this story and make it entertaining versus how do I also bring people up to speed who either didn't know who I was in the first place or had forgotten who I was. So uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting challenge telling the same story in a different way over and over again. Um, well, has it been dying down lately or have you been doing some more like press runs? Well, during the 2018, uh, midterm election cycle, I got pretty busy uh -huh. again. It, it was nothing, nothing like it was in the beginning uh -huh. and I'm sure it never will be again. 
but I expect that uh, as the 2020 election yeah. heats up, there'll probably be some more stuff for me yeah. to do. Uh, and I, I do have a few speaking engagements at a few schools lined up, uh-huh. but uh, nothing big for the next few months. So I've got some time to kind of focus on the family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, try to get uh, a good head start on my book, mm-hmm. which, you know, even if nobody reads it, at least I'll have had the experience of writing it. That's going to be an interesting new challenge. So, yeah, right right now it's relatively slow, and it's just every once in a while I'll run into a person that's like, hey, aren't you that guy? Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, I'm that, I was that dude in the red shirt. I was, like, running for president. Can you say your book so that when it comes out, people will know to see it? Uh, I don't even have a title yet. It probably. Oh, uh, you don't even have a title yet. It's, okay. it's just in the I, – I just spoke with an editor earlier today, you know, and he agreed to work with me. And we're talking like the very, very earliest stages. It probably won't be out for like a year. So has this experience like changed the connections that you had? It's really changed my perspective is what it Uh has done. Like before all this, I didn't even go to HOA meetings. Uh And I was so tired. I was so tired of hearing about politics that I would just listen to music radio or to podcasts and stuff instead. Because I did not want to hear about politics anymore. And then all of a sudden, I got this opportunity to go to the debate. And I was like, hey, sure, that'll be a neat experience. And then all of a sudden, I have this big platform where I think right now I have something like 180,000 Twitter followers. So that's, to me, that's a big responsibility. You know, I, I have to be responsible in what I say to people. They call folks with a lot of social media following, they call us influencers, which I thought was a weird term. And then I really think about it. I'm like, well, it is kind of you do have an influence on people. You have a, an impact on people based on what you say, uh, just because of your notoriety. And so I try to take that very seriously. Uh, so I'd say, I guess I'm just more socially responsible now than I was before. I try to be a little less flippant in the stuff that I say, uh, just cause it, you know, if things that I say have more potential to help people now, which is great, but they also have more potential to hurt or exclude people, mm-hmm. which I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't have any more questions. I just want to say thank you for doing this. I definitely learned a lot about what it's like just working with electricity and being an electrical engineer and how tough that it can be. And well, like you said, it can be boring at times. And then at times, you know, you have to be really alert and be aware of your surroundings in other times. But I also learned about what it's like suddenly gaining a lot of followers, I guess, or just like becoming known in a small amount of time and what press runs are like and stuff like that. So I appreciate you for doing this. I definitely learned a lot about, you know, these different things. So thank you for doing this. Well, I was happy to do it. And uh, I think you're right. You've got a great podcast going. I think it's really good for young people to get kind of an inside view into what the career world is like, because it is very difficult to choose a a path in life when you're not old enough to buy cigarettes. You know, that's, that's always that's baffled me ever since I was in yeah. high school. Uh, they're like, "What do you want to?" We start asking kids when they're six, "What do you want to be when yeah. you grow up?" And you're like, well, "I don't know, healthy, alive. <laughs> I, I don't really yeah. know." So it's I think you're doing a, a good thing, and I really liked your Reddit AMA also. I, I I thought mine was was probably better, but I've done this a lot. You know, I've got I've got one of the top rated ones that's ever. True. But you're you got something to work towards. No, you. Uh... Okay, my next goal is to have more upvotes on my AMA than yours. That's probably going to be... Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yours is like... Okay, I just checked I've... it right now. Yours is number four with 117... Okay, I, I cannot beat that. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, darn President Obama. And then I think the guy uh, who was 
Goofy, the mascot at Disney. His was super interesting. I think he's ahead of me now also. I don't remember what the other one is. But uh, they all deserve it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I deserve to be in the top five, but I'm super happy about it. All right. Well, that is Ken Bone, electrical engineer, but also, uh, how should I say, a viral, not viral. Uh, it's a weird term to say. Oh. I don't know. Jimmy Kimmel's announcer called it viral sensation, which I thought was maybe playing it up too much. <laughs> so, I don't I'll know. Social media influencer. That Social sounds a little better. Social media influencer. Ken Bone. Yeah, there you All go. All right. Kind of like one of those hot Instagram models, only I don't have to work <laughs> as hard. All right. Thank you so much, Ken. I really appreciate it. And that was the interview with Ken Bone. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it while I was talking to him. Definitely an extremely unique experience, but also a really normal job. I hope you learned a lot. I definitely learned a lot. Other than that, I just want to say follow Ken on Twitter at KenBone18. Follow me on Twitter at MajorJobsPod and Instagram, MajorJobsPodcast. You can also go to my website at MajorJobsPodcast.com. Other than that, I don't really have anything else to say. So thank you a lot for listening, and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Major Jobs Podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Major Jobs Podcast. If you have an interesting career and want to be featured on the show, send us an email at majorjobspodcast at gmail.com with your job title and college major if applicable. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not.